0: From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.
2: Blue wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons.
0: Here comes Simmons between their legs. Embiid The for Simmons. Wow, what a play!
2: Welcome everybody to what is absolutely going to be another very happy-go-lucky episode of the New Slant Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newback, and this week, once again, our podcast is being brought to you by the good folks at Bet Online. So, shout out to those guys for keeping our lights on with me after another miserable Sixers loss. After the trade deadline has gone by without any of the trades he probably would have liked to see happen, my buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how the hell are you?
1: I'm doing as well as humanly possible given the circumstances of the Sixers season. <laughs> I I am off from we're recording this Thursday night. I am took a day off from work tomorrow. Uh, I just got my new vacation days for the year on February first, and I am ready Ooh. to burn through all of them right away. Uh, so I don't have to go to work tomorrow after all this nonsense. So
2: at least there's Listen, that. I think we both probably deserve days off tomorrow after the debacles that we've had to watch. And uh, for over my the last week,
1: for my entertainment, uh, tomorrow night I am going to the Philadelphia seventy sixers game. So. just trapped in a cycle of nonsense
2: fortunately i'm not going for entertainment i'm going for my job although i guess signing up to do this intentionally is perhaps just as bad
1: yeah i thought i was gonna be entertained by doing this podcast and involving myself in the sixers internet world and having season tickets but it turns out that all is terrible
2: all right. Well, before we get too deep into the minutiae of the Bucks loss and Joel Embiid struggles and, and so on, and the trade deadline, we have a new segment for you the betonline.ag take of the week. It's brought to you by our friends at betonline. So it's time for the take of the week. betonline.ag is your online sportsbook expert, which I have used. I am. Sp- slowly but surely turning into a degenerate gambler. So that's always uh, good to note that I actually use the product that we're endorsing. So if you use the promo code Blue Wire, all one word, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus when you first make a deposit at betonline.ag. So Seamus, what is your hottest take that you have to offer to start the podcast?
1: Well, one question. How many units are you up this year betting on basketball? Are you at liberty to say? So I, I don't do the units thing. I just I know. I, I feel like no dollars. one actually does that, but it's just funny. <laughs> to, it's hilarious to say, like, oh, I'm up uh, 4.5 units uh, through week six of the NFL season right now. Like, no one knows what the frig you're talking about, it's dude. Like, yeah, Stop. It.
2: Just, just tell me how much money you've won or lost. That's what matters to me. The sharps are right in on me. Now, here's what I'll say. I think the units matter just in terms of, like, all right, what size bet are you making? So yeah. if, like, a, a $50 bet is your average bet and you... You bet five units, then that's a more significant bet than like betting against the Sixers anytime they're on the road. But but I digress. Lock so, of the century. The the take of the week, the betonline.ag take of the week, Seamus. What do you got?
1: Charles Barkley caused some hysteria online uh, during the Sixers pregame show. They were on national television tonight on TNT. And obviously the infamous inside the NBA show was the pregame show. And Charles, as a former 76er, has always been very opinionated about the Sixers. On the show, he made it clear that the only two teams he roots for are the Sixers and the Suns, the two teams he had the most success with during his NBA career. And he just basically called them, I don't want to say soft, because I feel like that has like a weird connotation. I don't, I'm not calling the Sixers players mentally soft. But his general point of, this team lacks an identity. This team has no sense of authority to them no sense of urgency they seem aloof they seem disinterested they seem like they don't even want to be on the court sometimes and for a team with colossal expectations going in the year set forth by people within the organization as well as people nationally locally myself you the Sixers Twitter community and it's all been a letdown it's been a disappointment and Chuck intentionally fired off those takes in an incendiary matter to drive up conversation, to get people talking, to get these clips go viral on the internet. And I get that's what he's doing. He's playing a game. But it's stuff we've been saying all year, and now people just want to say, oh, Charles Barkley, he was out of shape when he played, blah, 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 blah. How is he going to criticize Embiid? Charles Barkley's an inner circle Hall of Famer. Shaquille O'Neal is an inner circle Hall of Famer. Now, are these guys the brightest basketball minds in the world when it comes down to breaking down the minutia of the modern NBA game, no, but do they know the inside outs of locker room dynamics, player chemistry, player relationships, what it takes to have winning ba- basketball teams? Charles Buckley won an NBA MVP award. He's made the finals. He played it in a six game final series against Michael Jordan's Bulls. No one on the Sixers has done that. No one in on the Sixers probably will ever do that. Shaquille O'Neal, uh, several MVPs to his name. Four-time championship winner. One of the best players of all time. Now, are those guys you want to be coaching the Sixers or working in the Sixers front office? Certainly not. Do they know what they're talking about when they can look at a team and just tell that something's off, that the the magic of the intangibles that you see with great teams, it's missing and they're aware of it and we've all been aware of it, but it's just one of those insider things where... Oh, we're from Philly. We're the only one who's allowed to criticize our team, and all we do is all we do online all day is shit on the Sixers. And then when someone nationally shits on the Sixers, we throw a fit, saying, "How could you ever do that? You're wrong." When it's stuff we've been saying the entire season. So Chuck wasn't very Philadelphia reflex. Yeah, I know, and I'm. It's the same. No one can talk shit on Philly besides people from Philly. Like that's like a T-shirt I feel like, or (laughs) you know, it's something I would say to some stranger. Uh, But it's true. We are overly defensive about things. That, we're already, that we've already said,
2: Chuck wasn't wrong. Okay, so your take is going to segue into mine, which I want to stress that this is not me reporting anything. This is just me reading the room and, and seeing where the Sixers are at right now. I think we are getting dangerously close to the point where they have to fire Brett because I think... What we've seen over the last week, I I don't care that they I I do care that they lost these games. I don't want to say I don't care that they they went 0 and four on the road trip because that's a loser mentality to not care about wins and losses. That's a stupid thing to say. But I I, I wouldn't be overly upset. Look like assessing the situation if they come away from a three game trip between Boston, Miami, and Milwaukee 0 and three. If they had competed hard. If they had been in close games at the end and a few bounces don't go their way if it was just a matter of hey they didn't execute this play or they missed an open shot at the end whatever it is that's one thing what they're doing right now is they're competing when it's easy in the beginning and they get off to a decent start and everything looks to be going good and when the first wave of adversity hits this team is just folding right now. And some games that's coming earlier than others. The Boston game was over pretty much from the start. Uh, Miami got out of hand in the second half. Milwaukee, they hung around until the fourth quarter. But the thing that links those things together is that in all three of those losses, and you could say this is true in the Atlanta loss too, at a certain point, they just flat out quit. And there were guys who were getting out-muscled out hustled, out worked to loose balls. To there was a play, and I believe Reggie Miller might have pointed it out. You know, I'm not a big Reggie Miller guy, but Reggie Miller pointed it out on the broadcast Thursday night, and he said, "He said, look at Milwaukee is. Uh, I think they were up between like 10 to 15 points at the time, with maybe three minutes remaining. They put they uh, b- ball goes into the backcourt for Philly." and Joel Embiid stands with his hands on his hips not moving while two bucks try to chase the ball down full court to try to win that possession. Now, is that a team that's like you could pejoratively label them as tryhards and they want to win the regular season net rating championship and all that stuff like Zach I get that. Award. Yeah, right. Like nobody wins championships for net ratings. You do win championships with good habits. You do win championships by having guys that give a damn each and every night and are going to be able to respond when their backs are against the wall in a playoff series. Al Horford went out and said their backs are against the wall right now during his media availability that went around the world this week. And then they come out in that fourth quarter with the game still there to be won and they just flat out folded in the end. And so like, it doesn't even really matter to me if Brett deserves to be fired. It almost doesn't even matter that they don't have options to replace him that are credible options right now if they keep folding like this and if things keep going in this direction I just don't see how he's going to be able to keep his job And, and I say that without like I don't like seeing anybody get fired or guys getting like cut or whatever these are their careers their livelihoods but something is clearly not right with this group right now and the fact that they just had reportedly a players meeting and all these things are, are swirling around about the disarray and then they come out and, and lose in the end the way they did tonight to me is just says a lot about where they are as a team right now
1: now when you're saying they could fire bread is that or is that you saying... i'm not saying they
2: can't i'm saying like it's like again i'm not reporting yeah yeah no
1: end. no did not saying it like that in the slightest when you're saying that it feels like the team could be on the verge, at least in theory, of firing Brett Brown. Do you mean that at the end of the season? Do you mean that if they don't make the finals, they don't make a certain round of playoffs? Or do you mean that immediately? Could you see it happening during the, before the All-Star break this weekend, tomorrow for all we know?
2: Well, so I would say my operating belief has been if they didn't get to at least the conference finals this year, that they were going to move on from him.
1: Completely agree.
2: But – I think even that is being tested right now, where like this stretch has been bad enough that and has had so many worrying signs that we'll get to in a little bit that I think that's something that we're going to have to talk about and perhaps consider more. So with that, we conclude the betonline.ag take of the week segment. So remember to use promo code Blue Wire, all one word, B-L-U-E, W-I-R-E. For your fifty percent welcome bonus at betonline.aj. But love let's to get, win money. I, I do love to win money. Love I want a little money, money. tonight, not Money's on the Sixers, awesome. but on other basketball teams who should who will go unnamed for the time being. Um, so let's stick on this subject for a second, Seamus. I think so the reason I've started to feel this way regarding Brett and I mean I've been accused of all sorts of bias as it – pertains to Brett over the years yeah you went
1: to that luncheon he threw uh, (laughs) water carrier
2: so all sorts of ridiculous claims that people make and say I make excuses for him blah 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 to me the biggest concern that I have as it pertains to him as it pertains to the, the current state of the team and the future of the team is that Joel Embiid is just not there right now. Like we can we can point out that his shooting has been bad since he came back from the injury. And I'm sure some of his poor play since returning is the fact that, look, he's out there with a wrap slash cast slash whatever you want to call that on his hand. And it's effect, his guide hand is affecting his shooting. He's missing free throws. He's missing jumpers that are normally easy makes for him. But there's so much more than that going on with him. Uh, Like uh, they played through him a ton on Thursday night. There was no excuse for him to go into lollygagging, um, checking out mode. There's no excuse for him not to be bought in on the defensive end. They were getting him as many touches as humanly possible. He was getting single covered by Robin Lopez. And he was just getting worked. He just wasn't good. And on the defensive end, there were plays where he's getting beat with speed by Wesley Matthews I mean like call it what it is this is embarrassing for a guy who's supposed to be an MVP caliber at the very least top 10 type player he's not even close to that right now and after delivering one of his best performances ever last time against Milwaukee on Christmas Day I just where is that fire that we saw where is the Joel Embiid that was puffing his chest out and talking trash and, and and playing like a guy who straight up just wanted to be out there. Like, I don't, I don't know what is wrong with him right now, but this is taking like a really dark turn and I don't know what the fix is for him.
1: I think the on court dynamics of the starting lineups, roster construction are continuing to take a toll on him. And it's a situation where yes, they've, there's always been chatter regarding his fit with Simmons. We all know about that at this point; doesn't need to be reiterated. But in the past two seasons, they've won fifty-plus games. They were the three seed. Uh, winning cures all, to a degree. Obviously, they weren't world beaters, but a fifty-one team is a fifty-one team. A team that has home court advantage in the first round is something. So when they're playing well. All of those issues kind of get put on the back burner, and people aren't talking about them as much when things are going well, when the team's winning, when Embiid's playing well, when Simmons is playing well, when those things are going poorly as they are right now and have been for the last couple weeks, when Joe himself isn't playing well, when Ben himself isn't playing well in games when both he and Joe are starting, when Al Horford's presence is negatively affecting essentially everyone in the starting lineup, given his Play profile, his lack of floor floor spacing. Though he didn't knock down five threes tonight, uh, and the Giannis stopper that he is was a turnstile defensively. But that's a different discussion. But outside of tonight, I think Horford's presence bringing him down offensively. There's no room for him to operate in the paint the way he wants to. And then the obvious elephant in the room of Simmons' lack of spacing, again forces Embiid further and further out to the perimeter where he's just left to jack up threes, where sometimes I feel like that's what he gets into when he gets lazy, or am I calling him lazy, but just when he seems aloof, when he's run down, when he's tired, when he's exhausted, when he doesn't feel like being out there, when he doesn't want to go bang on the post, he's just going to th- bomb threes, which I get. But that's what happens when you're starting two centers and you're starting a power forward at point guard. He's just left the best player on your team, is surrounded by players who don't compliment him. And that just has finally taken – I feel like it's been slowly, slowly weighing on him for the last several seasons. And when there was success, it was bearable. But when they're under the not just the local spotlight, nationally they're taking heat. That just changes everything, and I think it's really wearing him down.
2: So I'm not dismissing what you're saying. I agree with you, especially when you listen to the quotes that he had at his media availability the other day where he said that there's, yeah, I mean, look, he said, we don't have an offensive identity. The spacing isn't there. Sometimes we play fast. Sometimes we play slow. Everything about what he said was, in my view, very concerning, whether it's present day or, or looking towards the future. But to the point about like him having to step out and space the floor and not do what he's good at and all that, I mean he was like three for sixteen inside the arc tonight. <laughs> and, yeah, he was terrible tonight. Uh, yeah, like it, it's not like and it's not like that was the issue. On certainly he took, I mean he took ten threes, so th- he took too many of those and. That's something that they have to find a a balance between him opening up the game for everybody else. And then his teammates doing that for him. But this problem isn't going away. And I wonder, you know, we'll get to the the rest of the trade deadline in a minute. I do wonder if Joel, that was like his media availability the other day was like a last ditch. Hey, we, we can't keep doing this talking about the offensive structure. And then seeing Elton just decide they're going to make fringe moves, he came out tonight and it was just kind of like, well, so this is it. This is the rest of the season. It's not going to change. Al still in the starting lineup. Like I, I, I don't disagree with you that I'm sure there's some of that there, but I think he has to hold himself accountable for some of this. And, and by the way, some of that accountability might just be to say to himself or say to the medical staff, hey, I'm not right right now. My my hand's affecting me more than I'm letting on. Every time he's been asked about it, he says he's doing fine. He's just got to adjust to it and so on and so forth. But if this is the best he has to offer, they'd be better with him sitting. He said it was a a month-long recovery normally for people. Well, then let it recover for a month. They were doing okay without you. I know this is a tough stretch of games. I know you want to be out there. I know you want to be contributing to the team and, and certainly has an ego. He doesn't want the team leaving him behind and all the stuff about oh it's Ben's team blah blah blah, but he has to be more mature. Somebody has to step in from the sideline, from the medical staff, whoever it is, and say, "Joel, you have to do what's best not just for you, but for all of us." And and I don't know I don't I don't know if there is a person in that organization who is capable of doing that.
1: I don't disagree with you at all. I think uh, I'm all for player empowerment, but in terms of his injury situations that have obviously been numerous throughout his career, Embiid wields too much authority as to when he does and does not play. He clearly should not be playing right now. He shouldn't have played for the last week. He shouldn't have been back until after the All-Star break. His hand is clearly affecting him, and it's a fault of both him for not realizing that he's actively hurting the team and... Further pushing it down the road to the point where he's eventually going to be healthy because he's playing through an injury instead of just resting. And it's also on the team or Brett Brown, the general manager, the front office staff, the medical staff. I don't know who exactly, but collectively it's on them for not having enough of a backbone to say, Joe, you can't play right now. You're hurt. You're hurting the team when you're out there when you're injured. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself during the stretch run and the playoff run because you keep pushing and pushing back the date that you'll eventually be healthy. As you said, it was a month-long recovery that he came back on after two weeks. It's just an issue we've been dealing with with him for the entirety of his Sixers tenure, not just his playing career, but since he's been with the team and his constant injury issues that defined his first two seasons in the NBA.
2: I, I I don't know what the fix is because I, I think it to a certain degree, at least with the Do you need a coach with a backbone? Like stuff. I think
1: they walk all over him. And I'm not uh, saying so go I'm not saying go hire Tom Thibodeau. Like I people say like, oh, you're gonna fire Brett Brown, who you're gonna hire, like Stan Man Gundy Like I don't want any of those guys. Like, but do you think Greg Popovich had a problem telling Tim Duncan, hey, sit tonight out? stuff like that. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but I, I need so... someone who
1: could reach a player rather than be his friend
2: well so here's the difference there's to there's so go many, to the the popovich it's not, an, it's, not an ex,
1: it's not as extreme or black and white as i'm making it out to be there's a middle ground there that i'm yeah. searching for
2: well like duncan is a if Joel Embiid had tim duncan's personality he'd be the best player in the league well that's, that's, that's certainly that's true. number yeah, one that's, yeah number two greg popovich came from was a military has had has had a huge influence on their front office for basically the entire time that he's well, been there. Well, he was originally zone. the
1: GM, and then he fired Correct. a dude and said, Hey, I'm going to be the coach now. Yes, and he Power has roof.
2: retained a big say in personnel matters, even with R.C. Buford and other guys running the team over the years. And and so that makes him a little bit different. Now, you could argue that Brett took on – the 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 signals are a little crossed as it pertains to like his influence on player yeah. personnel management because of that the collaborative honestly they keep that intentionally figured, vague but you would know better so, than i but yeah so but i think to your point I, I think the real issue is that like if they brought in another coach i still think the problem is the horse is is out of the barn so to speak like they have given him and and Ben to a a similar extent so much power and they have so much leverage over this organization that like if they're to lose one of those guys like it all Joel would have to do is walk out and say like I don't like it here anymore trade me and they are boned like they are absolutely screwed same thing with Ben like if one of those guys were to go out and and do something like that because of any reason, whether that's a medical staffer telling them you can't play, whether that's a bad relationship with the coach, bad relationship with the GM, fit with other players not being right. Like they can nuke this organization in a second. And then you're left with a GM that's inexperienced, the roster that has proven it can't, hasn't been able to win yet. And you're losing one of your best players. So I think the issue is at least from, from my view is they are sort of in fear of that sort of outcome. And so they, they let these guys go to a degree that leaves you with the situation you're in today. And it, it's not good. I, I don't know, I don't think there's a clean fix. And I think as much as there were reasons to, to move on from Jimmy Butler, I think one of the reasons that he got through to Joel is he doesn't take people shit. And jo, Joel responds to that sort of person. I don't know if you need a player version of that. I don't know if you need a coach. I don't know if Elton Brand needs to to pull up his bootstraps and, and be that guy, be the tough figure instead of like the big brother guy from the the GM chair. But somebody has to do it, and, and until that happens, we're gonna keep seeing stuff like this from from Joel and Ben.
1: Do you think Josh Richardson is a leader at all? It seemed that's kind of caught me by surprise over the last several days that. Uh, Stephen A. had indicated that he led a players-only meeting or someone else. uh, I believe Keith Pompey and Bobby Marks were on, I don't know if it was WIP or 97.5, the Fanatic. They both said that Josh has become a vocal leader in the rock room. Do you think he's someone? Obviously, I've never spoken with Josh in my life, and I'm assuming you have. Does he strike you as someone who could take that role in a way? Not as obviously, he's not as confrontational or brash as Jimmy Butler, certainly, but do you think he could have that effect at all? Is he not talented enough or marquee enough for a player to have that much sway? What are you feeling there?
2: No, I mean, I, I talked to Josh a, a decent amount in the locker room, and he strikes me as a, a no-nonsense, hard work kind of guy. Like I, He's been pretty honest when they've gone through stretches where they're struggling, but he's also, he's, he's always downplayed it and said, look, we're We'll figure it out. We, we don't worry about what people say on the outside. I, I think the concern at this point is that I don't know that they're holding up on the inside. If they were holding up better than they are, I don't think their performances would track the way they are right now. Like Again, to circle back, it's one thing to lose. It's a different thing to to perform like they have. But let's uh, let's leave it there for a second. We'll circle back on – I want to get to Ben Simmons before we talk trade deadline. And uh, we'll take a quick break, talk about our sponsor. So, now we're going to t- take a quick break to tell you once again about our brand new sponsor, Bet Online. If you missed your chance to bet on all these away games that the Sixers lost, don't worry, there are plenty more left the rest of this season. So, Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, Major League opening day, and as I said before, more Sixers road games. BetOnline has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021 or for the Sixers to go out early in the playoffs this year. So head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. I've already signed up. I'm pretty sure Seamus has already signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way for you guys to help support our podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline. Your online sportsbook experts, and I now back to wait. the show.
1: Cannot wait to gamble first weekend of March Madness. Is there anything better?
2: Oh, dude, that is degenerate city. once it? it hits like March. even
1: people who are like not real degenerates love it. Like it's it's just
2: look at it this way. It's a way for you to wake up on a Thursday morning and think, yeah, you know what? There's something for me to gamble on at twelve noon up until like 200. 10 p.m. <laughs> On a weekday. That's uh, a pretty good time as long as you don't send yourself to the poorhouse.
1: Oh, not if you use <laughs> bet online. Exactly. When when makes you win money.
2: Uh, so I want to touch on Ben Simmons a little bit here because we haven't really talked about him at all so far, Seamus. There's something that dawned on me during the Milwaukee game. I, I, I think – since Joel has come back I think a lot of people have been happy to say well it's Joel's fault that he's not getting touches and they're not able to use him in the way they did before and like I will concede that it is definitely not as easy to get Ben going in the ways that they did without Joel as it is when they have Embiid available but Watching the Milwaukee game and seeing how much he has the ball in his hands and then just finds a way to get rid of it, I think of all these comparisons to different players that have been made over the years, like Magic Johnson and LeBron. And then, like, I thought about all the great point guards through history. And, you know, the thing that sets apart the guys who are just playing point guard and the guys who are excelling at point guard are that the guys who are really good, they don't just play the whole game to set up their teammates. They recognize the games when, hey, look, my teammates don't have it, and I'm going to have to be the guy that goes out and gets 25, 30, 35, whatever it's going to take to win tonight. I mean, you could point to John Stockton, who's a heavily pass-first guy. You point to Chris Paul, who is one of my favorite basketball memories, is actually watching him in that first round series against the Lakers. The year the Mavericks won the title. And that that New it was Orleans great team year.
1: great playoff year. Great that
2: great New Orleans year. team was dog shit. And yet he still willed them to multiple wins cuz he said, "Screw it. Like I'm playing in a backcourt with fucking Jared Jack. I'm going to go out and get 30 points and 18 assists or whatever the hell it's going to take." for us to win this game and Ben Simmons not only is not wired in that way he just isn't capable of playing in that way like there's no there's no ability for Ben to say screw it I'm gonna go out and score 30 tonight like they specifically have to engineer a game plan to get him that he can't just wave somebody over and call pick and roll and and do the things that a normal guard does And I think that is just like the – it's the biggest problem I think I have with him as a player. It's like I just don't – and I hated those arguments about LeBron not having the quote-unquote clutch gene and he's not a closer and he's not this. But like the difference here is that Ben just doesn't even have the ability to play in that way. And I don't know if if you see that the same way, but it was something that I just – I kept thinking about watching the Sixers lose on Thursday night.
1: A quick aside for the basketball historian in me, in that playoff series, uh, the Hornets won game one before lo kind that two two at one point before losing in six games. Chris Paul stats for that series. Twenty two points, seven boards, twelve assists, two steals, and a true shooting percentage of sixty seven percent. He was outrageously good in, in that yeah, series. Man. That was my like, favorite playoff year ever.
2: Yeah, well, then the next series was the one where J.J. Brea basically ended the Lakers season. Oh,
1: dude, like Paige hit 75 threes in the sweeping game four.
2: Oh, my God. I can remember Bynum got tossed. That. I was watching. Remember that? Yes. I don't remember. Was it, was it game three, game two, where Brea had, like, a huge night and I remember watching – it was a weekend night, so I was watching it with some of my buddies, and we were just going ballistic because all of us were big Laker haters at the time. Same, yeah. As, as is custom. So that was just – yeah, I I loved that playoffs. That was – although the since I was a LeBron guy back in those days, the uh, that Dallas finals was a bit rough.
1: <laughs> well, I was always a dirt guy, and I loved Paige as a kid. I liked Jason Kidd uh, before I became more aware of, I guess it was – off the court stuff. But those were three of my favorite players growing up. So I was all all in on the Mavs team. Like Jet, uh, Rick Carlisle, I still think, coach one of the best series of the century in the finals against LeBron and Wade and Bosch. Great team to latch on And an unlikely champion. Really one of the few unlikely champions uh, of my time as an NBA fan, I guess with the Raptors last year. Stuff like that. It's really the only things that really stand out.
2: Yeah, I will say too. I I think looking back, despite like I was bummed about how that went at the time because I, all the LeBron arguments are happening, but it's I'm glad that Dirk was able to get a title specifically, and that Jason Kidd. I and you know I, I didn't really like I don't like Jason Kidd as a person, but Dirk yeah. I was happy to see him get one, so he's not in that club of like best players who never won anything, and that was
1: like a. That was a tremendous run, but you're... that's when like three point shooting went full mainstream. Yeah, Doesn't... but you're
2: avoiding the long. subject, Seamus. I want to know it, what you talk think about, about fun ben. basketball
1: teams. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so tell me what you think. Like, what is your read on Ben, and like, how much of that resonates with you?
1: I Many coasts. When he's on, there's few players in the world that are more exciting, and I agree. He's not the type of guy who. Again, I'm not saying he's not clutch or saying kind of one of those meaningless takes, but in a situation like that, you would expect him to say, hey, we're down by 13. There are eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm just going to score. I'm not going to do my dribble to the paint, kick it out to Al Horford or uh, shake Milton for a bricking three. I'm going to score. I'm going to get to the line. I'm going to go balls to the wall on defense. And... He just never seems to be taking that leap. And I'm not saying he doesn't doesn't care or he doesn't try, but because at times you see him just so swarming and everywhere defensively and his presence on that end of the court is electrifying at times. But there are other moments where you feel like he's just drifting through the game, like almost intentionally being passive and striking. And... For a player as talented, as good as we've seen him been, you just can't help wonder why it isn't more consistent. Is he as aloof at times as Joel seems, as he wear it better on his face, where Joe's body language sometimes gets outrageous, like tonight, and you're just thinking, like, get this guy off the court. It's a disaster. It's a disaster for the whole team. And I feel like this is a circular conversation sometimes, but uh, some games when they're playing, I guess some lower competition, Ben looks like, the highest level of superstar possible and then when things get in a funk when things slow down as we've seen in playoff series in the last two eastern conference semifinals the sixers played in uh ben can get neutralized in an instant and when things aren't going well with joe and then it's relied and the team is reliant upon ben to be the driving force for the team uh, i'm not too confident things will work out for them
2: yeah, and I don't want to go down a whole Ben Worm. Yeah, world this isn't an an, this isn't clear. an
1: anti-Ben pod or anything like that. Yeah, it's just kind of being realistic right now.
2: Yeah, I, I think for me, like I just want to. I I will say, Joel was the guy who was the the driving force. Yeah, he's the Thursday's like, loss. Yeah,
1: yeah, that game is. If their game was on any particular player, it's Joe for his actual performance, and then. He takes some own personal responsibility for his decision and his the authority he's he's gained for himself to overrule anyone in terms of when he wants to play on the court when he's clearly hurt and not playing to the level that we all know he's capable of.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, let's get into the guys who are supposed to save the season for Philadelphia. Two cheap pickups from one of the worst teams in basketball what else could you want at the trade deadline Seamus
1: they're fine it's decent value all they gave up three second rounders, so people might say like oh that's three little lottery tickets but the picks are correct me a 2020 Dallas Mavericks pick which is currently cited to be the 49th pick in this summer's draft a 2021 pick uh, second-rounder from the Denver Nuggets, and then a 2022 second-round pick from the Toronto Raptors. And you would reasonably expect those picks are in the high 40s or even the 50s in the next two years. They didn't really give up anything of value. Those, the, the Sixers, knowing them, knowing Joshua Harris, knowing Instagram wannabe influencer Michael Rubin, those second-round picks were going to get sold. We know that's going to happen. So just to give them up for two guys for the stretch run, whatever. Uh, Glenn Robinson, in my take, uh, you know, was a huge fan of Glenn Big Dog Robinson during his time at the Bucks, as well as his washed-up time at the Sixers. When I was younger, I actually have his jersey. I'm, I just went to my parents' house this afternoon after work, got it, brought it to my apartment, wearing it to the game tomorrow. Wow! He's just, like a, he's just like a guy, though. He's just there, and maybe he has like my hope, my optimistic hope for him is he has like two or three different quarters during the stretch when we're like, oh my god. Glenn Robinson had eight points in the quarter. They had three threes, he had 12 points, 15, or something like that. I think that's what you hope for with him. Three threes for eight points. That's an that's when I strategy. said. That's when I said 12 after that. <laughs> and But I have some optimism with Burke. He has more upside as a creator, as a ball handler, uh, someone who worked as a secondary playmaker alongside Ben. Uh, we've talked frequently about having lineups with Ben playing alongside of uh, more traditional ball handler, more traditional point guard. Now, Burks is in a point guard in name, but he can do a lot of those things that a point guard does. And he does have some sc- scoring potency, and he's averaging 16 points off the bench for, again, a shitty team. But he can put up buckets in a hurry, and that's really one of the things that they're lacking. Again, he's not this unbelievable player, uh, but he does have great shooting efficiency this year. I believe he's shooting forty percent on the dot on like seven attempts per game. Does that sound right to you? Uh, I would have to. Yeah, I've read about it this morning in mind. Uh, the news. I think it's forty on like maybe even like seven point seven attempts or something crazy. Uh, Gr three is at like thirty seven point. Thirty-eight point one percent, or something, from three this year. So these guys are shooting. Oh wait, well. no,
2: no, no. Actually, I do know this because I and I think you are actually reversing their numbers. I think G Rob is shooting forty percent, and I think Alec Burks is at 30, thirty-seven seven six and a half. Yeah, something like that.
1: Well, that that makes a little bit more sense. So Burke is at a crazy high volume with above-average efficiency, and there's no one on the Sixers doing that right now.
2: Right, and the the thing that helps Burks stand apart from anybody on the Sixers is that he shoots a lot of off the dribble. Threes What's that? And that allows you to do some things in pick and rolls and using someone like Al Horford, despite the fact that he's public enemy number one in, in Philadelphia right now. You can use some of the personnel you have on hand a little differently because if teams start going under screens He's shown that he's plenty capable of knocking down those shots, and and then he certainly like if you play up on him too, he can attack the basket. He, he's not like a traditional point guard, yeah. but as you said, I I think he like on this team, he's plenty well equipped to to be that like to take those minutes it's from from the Neto, Neto and, and the
1: newly departed Trey Burke.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I I think that's a good pickup, and, and like G Rob to me is just. It's more of a lottery ticket. I think yeah. he's always been – he's a theoretical player more than he is a real guy. I think this year the most important thing is that he's taken a huge step forward as a shooter on, on decent volume. Uh, like He's not going to do much self-creation. He's a really good athlete, but you don't really see him leverage that much on offense. I think the, the biggest boon for me would be that I think having someone like Robinson – Allows you to potentially run out more smaller looks. And sure, Brett is going to have to actually want to do that. And he's never really shown a willingness to do that at high volume, which I think is has been one of my biggest disappointments with Brett over the years. But I think you could play with lineups where you're playing three wings at a time instead of playing. That sounds insane.
1: Right. If, you like, know, are you allowed playing, to do that?
2: <laughs> instead of playing Mike Scott, you could play let's say guards, all right. people
1: that dribble basketballs
2: i wrote an article earlier on like a theoretical rotation and so i was toying with different lineups in my brain and i was thinking well so what if the lineup when they play joel with a bunch of backups around him would be something like burks richardson Thibel, robinson and Bede? and so you have at least two guys who can run pick and rolls all those guys are comfortable shooting off the catch. You have a, at least one guy who's pretty high-level shooter. They're decent enough defensively. I think you can toy with some things. Just start rotation. those
1: guys. Who cares? There's nothing <laughs> to lose at this point.
2: So, yeah, I and I agree with you. I think that for what they paid, those are like negligible Fine value. picks. Fine value. I, 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 here's my take. I think fans should be happy that they're using those picks – to trade for guys to help them rather than selling them for money to fuel Josh Harris's helicopter. He needs
1: more porcelain Dalmatian statues.
2: <laughs> so I, I have no problems with what they did there. Uh, James Ennis was a casualty of that move. They moved. I him felt on. bad. I
1: I like James Ennis.
2: <laughs> I did. And, and you and I talked about this a little bit, I believe in the past, but I, I found it weird that he ended up in the doghouse yeah. here I would have much rather seen him play over Mike Scott, which goes back to the point about, you know, playing smaller lineups and what have you. But that's, uh, it's not how Brett saw it. Now, whether they continue, Mike Scott is still here, whether they continue to use him in the role they have is uh, up for debate, I suppose. But, you know, my hope would be that they sort of move on from that and, and see what they have and and toy with some flexibility. His contract's
1: yeah. guaranteed for next year, correct?
2: I believe so. Yeah, okay. they used the mid-level on him, so I don't think he's. Uh, it's not a team option,
1: anyway. non-guaranteed. Okay.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd have to double check on that, but I'm I'm, I'm fairly certain. I'm gonna uh, uh, put
1: Nate Duncan on Facetime real quick and ask him. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, I like I know the the deal they signed him to. I just don't. I never remember years on things. There are too many of these things, especially on. There Dale, are a lot of years day. out there especially on deadline day when my brain is just
1: Yeah, like what how much did you sleep last night?
2: Uh, yeah, I got like a solid 5 hours. All
1: right. How many cups of coffee have you
2: had today? Zero. I don't drink coffee. Oh, you're not a coffee I, guy? I don't drink coffee except for during the playoffs because I save that. That's like my I always tell people this. Coffee for me is like break glass in case of emergency. And so that way I'm not relying on it. I end up drinking a lot of water and I drink orange juice with breakfast every day. And TB, I find that yeah, you know, I, I find that that helps me. Um, so Mike Scott next year is on a $5 million base salary and cap hit. So okay. that is guaranteed on the books unless they somehow find a deal in the off season, which we'll see, but. Didn't seem like there are many, many interested parties. The more pressing issue—hatching Horford is, as a
1: sweetener—the
2: <laughs> more pressing issue is that, you know, they have to figure out how they're going to assemble this team at this point. And as we talked about with with Brown, uh, the flexibility is not always there. The buy-in doesn't appear appear to be there for a lot of these guys right now, which is the more important thing. So, I, the most important thing right now is just getting these guys to compete for 48 minutes, which easier said than done. Call task. Point. Yeah. Um, all right. On On that negative note, we end the podcast as we always do on an especially negative note. And that is the Mac Hollins loser of the week award. This is since we awarded the winner of the week to Dylan Brooks earlier in the week, Seamus, that means this is actually the loser of the week and not just the loser of this podcast. So it's a very important award to distribute this week
1: uh one person i had in mind or two people i should say is us for our preseason predictions about the sixers <laughs> uh but to be a little more general about it I'm gonna in have
2: fairness to... i did say that i thought that they were not going to beat the bucks in the playoffs so uh, well, i was at least a little more skeptical Well,
1: when they lose in the first round we can always say like oh if they go, if they played the buck we could we could do the old new orleans saints routine the three-time uh, 3 Pete winning New Orleans Saints who won the last three Super Bowls <laughs> the only uh, thing that
2: stopped them was was unfortunate no calls on penalties
1: yeah uh, but anyway uh, this word go this award goes out to Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz for trying to well actually him getting dominated by Nikola Jokic uh, Big well, loser energy always for Rudy Gobert. Yeah, he is such a loser. He has beef with our boy, Ryan Jones. Does one of the weirdest that? internet beefs that this. Like, but, Gobert- but I'm not making it up. No, I know. But Rudy
2: Gobert having beef with Brian is like one of the strangest subplots.
1: It's like really bad look time. that he like replies to all that. Because it's, it's different than when some guys do it. And it's like, oh, they just chump someone. But he does it so regularly that it comes off as like deeply, deeply insecure and weird.
2: So for listeners of the podcast, what happened with Rudy is that I believe it was ESPN stats, and, stats and, info. and info tweeted out that. And i look, I don't even know if this information is true. I didn't watch the seven man nuggets beat the jazz on Wednesday night. Surprisingly, I have better with things a warm to do cup of that. milk by your side. <laughs> Surprisingly, I have better things to do than that, but ESPN Stats and Info tweets out a a graphic where they point out that uh, Nikola Jokic shot 13 of 14 in that game when Rudy Gobert was the primary defender. And Rudy Gobert tweets at ESPN Stats and Info and just says, fake news. And the replies were essentially all, bro, the game was on TV. Everybody saw you lose to a team. Jokic hit a game winner. Seven guys available. Yeah, Jokic hit a game winner in his face after the they were I wanna say the jazz closed heading into the game on BetOnline.ag, by the way. Another shameless plug for our sponsor. I believe that they closed as I wanna say ten point favorites, at least as like nine or nine and a half point favorites. And they still lost at home. After having a, a lead and looked like they were going to win that one going away against a team that barely had enough guys healthy enough to play. So Rudy Gobert, big-time effing loser. Yeah, he's a
1: huge, huge loser. Has been for a while. <laughs> All right, well,
2: Sixers are not in a position to talk right now. Uh, as maybe
1: as I'm not in a the, position to talk about who's a loser, but here we are.
2: As Some of the, the biggest losers in the NBA at the moment, so – we thank you for sticking with us through the losing times because there have been a lot lately. If you haven't already, if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us some five-star ratings on iTunes or your your podcast platform of choice, and hopefully the next time we talk, it, it's after Sixers win. We'll
1: talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. This team sucks.
0: From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.